0: It's now time for the preaching of God's word. I'll be preaching from 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, titled, When I'm Weak, I am Strong. You know, this passage is one of the most personally significant scriptures for me. Verses 9 and 10 are actually one of my life verses, verses in the Bible that have formed and defined a lot of my life. Throughout my life, I've struggled greatly with deep insecurities, anxiety and depression, sexual addiction, among many other things. I can't say that I will ever get over my sin uh, in my lifetime. These struggles will always be a part of my life in some form or another. But this is why I can say that the message of Jesus Christ, his redemption of my sins on the cross, and his restoration of my life, and my reconciliation with God is truly good news to me. This is not only the case for me, this is also for all believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? The gospel is for all people who are weak and addicted to sin. The gospel frees us to admit our weaknesses and sin to God. And this becomes our testimony to the world so that others can also know the message that will set them free from thinking that their weaknesses are a curse and something to hide uh, to hide and something to be ashamed of. As we learned last week from 11 verses 13, 16 to 33, Following Jesus includes embracing situations that make us feel our true weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10 is actually a continuation of Paul's explanation of this. Chapter 11, verses 16-33 through 33 focused on Paul's wide range of experiences when he suffered greatly. Discomforts, conflicts, pains, and dangers. Today's passage is a little different in that it focuses on two specific experiences. A supernatural encounter and a thorn in his flesh. Go ahead and find this scripture in your Bibles, and then I'll read it. And it'll also be on the slide in front of you for you to read along with me. This is God's word. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Paul's main message from 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, which is the one thing for us, is this, identify God's grace and Christ's power in our weaknesses. There are two main parts to what Paul wrote here, which will be the two main points of today's sermon. First, Paul's supernatural encounter, described in verses 1 through 6, and second, Paul's thorn in the flesh, which is described in verses 7 through 10. I'll also be mentioning two timeless truths in each of these two main points. Let's pray one more time before we go any further, asking for God's grace while in this time in his word. Heavenly Father, we are eternally grateful for this gospel message. As we examine this part of the scriptures, may we know even more deeply the power of the gospel in our lives, not in theory, but personally for every single soul here. We pray that the internet connection for everyone stays strong. We pray for your spirit to speak to us and to transform us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's jump right into the sermon. First, focus on verses 1 through 6, Paul's supernatural encounter. Here, Paul shared this past supernatural encounter that, and then explained why this wasn't actually something to boast in. Let's first talk about this truth number one. Spiritual experiences can be truly formative, but are secondary to faith, hope, and love. Paul started out verse 1 with the words, I must go on boasting. In the previous section, he said that he took pride in things that showed his weakness. This wasn't normal boasting, but surprisingly, taking pride in things that showed his weakness. And he admitted here that there wasn't anything to be gained by boasting of what he was about to share. But he did it to prove a point. Paul talked about a certain man that he knew. He was actually talking about uh, himself here. This is appear, appears to be strange, but he has his reasons for this. I think that he was reluctant to share because it was such a deeply personal experience and because he knew it was really easy to take pride in something like this. So by speaking in the third person about this, he separated himself from the experience that he was about to share. And it becomes clear that Paul is actually talking about himself as he shares about this thorn in his flesh later in the passage. Sharing about his thorn in direct contrast uh, to this supernatural encounter wouldn't make any sense. I mean, if he was comparing his thorn with another person's supernatural encounter, it wouldn't make sense. It would only make sense if they were both about Paul's experiences to process and share. So going to the actual vision or revelation, Paul said in verse two, that one time he was caught up, he was snatched suddenly into the third heaven. The common Jewish worldview was that there were three levels of the heavens. The first level was the sky where the birds flew around. The second layer was higher up where the sun, moon, and stars were visible. And the third was the highest layer. The third heaven, which was unseen and where God dwelled. Verse 3 is basically Paul repeating himself, except he calls this place that he was taken to as paradise. a, A word borrowed from Persian, actually, that was used to refer to the Garden of Eden. This supernatural encounter was so out of this world that Paul didn't know whether he was having a vision or whether he was actually physically transported. But in verse 4, he said that God spoke to him while there. He spoke to him, but Paul was not allowed to repeat the contents of what he heard. Here he shared that it happened, but we actually still don't know what he actually heard. So now this was certainly a meaningful experience for Paul. God must have revealed something to Paul that had some purpose in it. But, he, but Paul faithfully kept the entire experience a secret for the last 14 years and only shared it now to make his point. What Paul said in verse 1 is, what, is what's important here. There is nothing to be gained by boasting in this. These days, all sorts of people boast about their supposed supernatural encounters with God. You can see all kinds of these stories littering bookstores and the internet and YouTube. In contrast, for Paul, he knew there was nothing to be gained by boasting of his experience, even though this trip to the third heaven was undoubtedly a pretty awesome experience. According to Paul, there were a lot of things that were actually better for personal and corporate faith development. To explain a bit more, I want to point out something specifically that Paul wrote in his previous letter to the Corinthians. This is from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 13. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels, but didn't, have, didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I could f- understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You see, the Corinthians were swept up in these kinds of super spiritual experiences, like speaking in tongues, prophetic messages, healings, and other other miracles. And this was probably what made those false apostles so appealing to them, too. But Paul was telling them that spiritual experiences can be truly formative, but are secondary, actually, to faith, hope, and love. Our belief from the scripture as elders of this church is that we believe God does work supernaturally in the world and that people can have spiritual experiences like speaking in tongues, prophetic messages, healings, and other miracles. But these are only a small part of the much, much bigger picture of following Jesus. Sound, strong, solid faith that is grounded in the Bible, living real hope in Jesus and following Jesus, being focused on Jesus. The steadfast love for God that is expressed in obedience and serving others. These are of highest value to possess, according to Paul. Let me move on and explain the wisdom of this truth as we look at verses 5 and 6 now. What Paul pointed out here is this, truth number two. We are prone to take pride in our perceived strength and previous experiences. In verses 5 and 6, Paul said that it would have been very natural for him to boast and very easy for him to impress the Corinthians by sharing about this vision in Revelation. Instead, he said this, I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul did not want people to think of him more highly than they ought or or that he deserved. On the flip side, Paul also knew that it was in his nature, as in all human beings, to want people to see the most impressive things about himself and to present himself in the best possible light. This is what I want to highlight as true about all of us as well. It is part of our nature to want people to see the most impressive things about ourselves and to present ourselves in the best possible light. More than that, we usually want people to think more of us than we really are. At least we wouldn't mind it if that happened, right? This is why we want to make sure people notice our strengths and know about our experiences that would bring admiration or jealousy from others. This part of human nature is most evident on social media, isn't it? I don't mean to slam Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok, depending on what generation you are. I think that these social medias can be useful to keep in touch with people and to create beneficial or encouraging content. But the reality is is that people also use these platforms to promote themselves, sharing about experiences that they can boast about or presenting themselves in the most flattering and self-exalting ways. I actually get amused by these, those videos. Have you ever seen them of social media fails or behind the scenes of, of what actually it's really like to take those videos or photos? It's not really as glamorous as it seems or it's just flat out fake. And there's plenty of research out there that detail how mental health is negatively affected by getting caught up in the comparing game on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our bodies don't look as buff. As that. Our holidays don't look as luxurious as that. Our houses don't look as beautiful as that. Our hangouts don't look as fun as that. Our brains are not as witty as that. You see, we are prone to take pride in our perceived strengths and previous experiences. It may not be social media, but there are plenty of other perceived strengths and previous experiences that we can take pride in or make us think that we're better than others. Be honest with yourselves and with God here, friends. We might have experienced significant success in our careers. We might, have lo- we might love attention and admiration because of our musical, athletic, speaking, or academic talent that we have. We might even humble brag because we know the Bible better. We serve in church better. Or we talk about spiritual things better actually all of these things are okay in and of themselves but in our sinfulness we twist these good things and make them points of pride or conceit so first we talked about paul's supernatural encounter how it was a genuinely extraordinary experience but that still something was that but still something that was secondary to more important matters like faith hope and love we are easily tempted to take pride in these perceived strengths and previous experiences. Now we'll, we'll talk about another part of Paul's life, something that was actually even more important and significant. So let's focus on verses 7 through 10, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Here, Paul shared about his thorn in the flesh and concluded by declaring that he was actually truly strong in Christ in light of his weaknesses. Let's talk about truth number three. God is in control and cares about us, which is why he puts thorns in our lives. In verse 7, Paul wrote a cause and effect statement. A thorn was given me in the flesh, that's the cause, which kept me from becoming conceited, that was the effect. As he said just now, he was aware of his propensity to take pride in his perceived strengths and in his previous experiences because they were admittedly surpassingly great. Paul also had this thorn in his life, which he interpreted as something God put in his life to prevent him from getting too puffed up with pride. It's fascinating, actually, to think about this thorn in his flesh. First of all, Paul did not specifically identify what this thorn was. So there's been a lot of speculation and guessing from scholars throughout the last 2,000 years. But the bottom line is that we just don't know. And maybe that's a good thing because it makes it all the more relatable to everyone else. We can all relate to things in our lives that cause us pain and make us feel weak. Amen? Second, Paul said that this thorn was literally a messenger of Satan that constantly harassed him. So on one level, the source of this was from Satan himself. It was some kind of evil that definitely made Paul feel weak and even tempted him to sin against the Lord Jesus. Perhaps it was even something that led him into sin. Using the terms we talked about last week when referring to how people change, the thorns were the heat, the situation that caused bad fruit to come out and bad roots to be exposed in Paul's life. Notice that Paul doesn't make this as an excuse to sin, like he's blaming Satan or something. But he's saying that at one level, this is a way that Satan attacked his faith and sabotaged his obedience to the Lord. But on another level, Paul attributed his thorn in the flesh to Jesus himself. When he wrote, a thorn was given me in the flesh, in verse 7, the original language of the text hints at divine origin. And then in verse 8, he wrote, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul looked at the Lord as the one who put this in his life and could take it away from his life. Thus, although Satan had some influence, has some influence in the world and in the lives of human beings, God is absolutely sovereign. This means that he, he is in direct control of everything that happens in the world. He is responsible for everything that happens. And he has a purpose for everything that happens in the world and in the lives of human beings. And, the most, and most of this is way beyond our ability to understand or fathom. But this doesn't mean that we're not allowed to wrestle with these difficult questions. We should. Why does God allow pain and suffering in the world? There are no easy answers to this question. The Bible doesn't provide a tidy explanation, but instead provides narratives of real life that help us process how we can trust God in the midst of pain and suffering in our world. A perfect example of this is the narrative of Joseph from Genesis 37 through 50. Almost murdered by his brothers, sent into, sold into slavery by them, falsely accused of sexual assault by his employer, imprisoned and forgotten in jail for years. He suffered a lot, but the Lord placed him him in Egypt to save an entire civilization uh, during a famine, which led to a reunion and reconciliation with his family, and more importantly, opportunities of repentance for the family of Jacob which led to Israel becoming a thriving nation in Egypt. And this was all part of God's sovereign plan and covenant of grace. So let's connect this to, some, to us personally here. Do you know what helicopter parenting is? It's a term that describes parents who hover over their children like a helicopter because they, they want to protect their children from pain and, and disappointment. It comes from a place of love and desire for their children to succeed, but it actually uh, is negative. It's overprotecting and overcontrolling them. Some parents have actually even taken it to another level called um, something called bulldozer parenting. Now parents, what they do is they directly intervene to remove all obstacles and challenges from their children's lives like a bulldozer and the consequences to such parenting from from their children's lives um, are, are, are proving very harmful. Children become psychologically fragile. They become afraid of failure. They've been found to be unable to cope with natural consequences of life. God, our father, is the farthest thing from a helicopter or bulldozer parent. What Paul says is that as believers in Jesus we have a heavenly father who loves and cares for us perfectly. Just as Paul's heavenly father put this thorn in his flesh to keep him from being conceited, our heavenly father as well puts thorns in our lives because he doesn't want us to become proud and dependent upon ourselves. Pride and self-dependence runs directly against the gospel message. We need to acknowledge that we cannot ever measure up to God's holiness or save ourselves. In fact, to think that we can would be the worst things ever for our souls. When we experience thorns in our lives, just as I taught last week, we can acknowledge them, we can lament over them. But let's also embrace our thorns by faith that God our Father loves and cares for us perfectly and is forming our humility and dependence upon him. Many of us are incredibly successful, talented, and well-educated. And let me tell you, the worst thing that could happen to us is, is if our pride goes out of control. Therefore, we can even thank God for the thorns in our lives because God is in control and cares about us, which is why he puts those thorns in our lives. He is a good father who wants us to be spiritually healthy, gritty, and refined in our faith in Jesus. Paul goes even further with his point, though, because suffering with thorns isn't just where it ends. Rather, we end with truth number four. We are truly strong when we grasp God's grace and Jesus's power in our lives. Verse 9 Describe the Lord's answer to Paul's request to take away this thorn from his flesh. Notice that in verse 8, Paul asked Jesus to take it away from him three times. This is not only just a lot of times, but this is a number of completeness. Like after the third time asking, this was the final answer. The wording of the phrase, but he said to me, was used in those days to introduce decrees of the king. And the tense of the verb is present perfect, which means that it was completely done. Thus, the Lord Jesus' answer was authoritative and final. Sometimes people in the church are taught that God always answers our prayers in one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait. And this time, Paul very specifically received the answers of no, no, and definitely, finally, no. Not only was God in control of of Paul's life and cared for Paul greatly. He put this thorn in his life because he cared for Paul. He said that he he said this in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is something we have to dig into deeply because it is so important. What does this mean? What is God's grace? This is such a rich topic that is, it's actually super tough to try to explain succinctly. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll share some uh, insights that Paul John Piper taught about grace. He pointed out that Paul used the word grace 86 times in the New Testament letters. For example, look at Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace can be understood as undeserved favor. God loves people, regenerates hearts, forgives sin, makes righteous, adopts as his children, reconciles with himself, and gives life eternal. This is all God's favor that he shows us that is totally undeserved and totally offered as a gift. Grace as undeserved favor is an incredibly rich concept. Piper also explains that the word grace that Paul uses can sometimes be understood as power for living. This is how he said it exactly. Quote: Grace is not only a disposition or a quality or an inclination in the nature of God, but is an influence or a force or a power or an acting of God that works in us to change our capacities for work and suffering and obedience. End quote. In my own words, God's grace is his power working inside believers in Christ to enable them to experience change of heart and change of body, to love and obey Jesus, to love and serve others, and to endure hard stuff as they follow Jesus. Jesus told Paul that he would not remove the thorn from his flesh, but that his grace, the power of God working inside him to change his capacity to worship and serve him faithfully was enough and was all that Paul needed. He said, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What Jesus meant was that in Paul's weakness, God's grace completely filled whatever gap existed. As a result of this tough discipleship process, this refining fire, Paul could conclude, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What he learned was the paradox, this paradox that he restated in verse 10. When I am weak, then I am strong. When Paul felt weak, he felt what was true about himself. And he was enabled at that point to depend more on Christ's grace and power. He experienced more of Christ's grace and power. When he depended on Christ's grace and power, no matter how weak he might have felt, he was actually in a much better place, actually the best place. Therefore, throughout a lifetime of experiencing this, Paul learned to be content when he faced situations of weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamity. He learned that being weak in Christ is infinitely better than being strong without Christ. Or in other words, we are truly strong when we grasp God's grace and Jesus' power in our lives. Let me share a personal example for me. Um, like you know, I'm still a work in process, progress for sure. But it's a per- this is a personal one for me that I've struggled with on a weekly basis and that I'm still working out. Even before the pandemic, I've struggled with depression and anxiety. I worry a lot. I stress out a lot from work and other responsibilities in my life. Often, it makes me want to procrastinate in order to avoid the conflict and discomfort and frustration that I anticipate I'll experience. For you procrastinators, you know you know exactly uh, what I'm talking about here. By doing that, sometimes it just makes me even feel more anxious. And I notice my anxiety is cyclical. There are stretches when I have energy and focus and motivation to tackle everything in life; those are good weeks. But then there are other stretches when I'm so tired scatterbrained lethargic and sometimes even in those high times i can't really enjoy them because i'm anticipating those hard times to come inevitably but i'm learning jesus words uh, to paul because he says that to me too he says to me my grace is sufficient for you drew that's what i imagine jesus calling me sometimes my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so I try to be faithful in what he calls me to do. Even when I feel terrible, when I feel low energy, low, low on time, when I feel low in my skills or in my confidence, I still study, prepare sermons by faith. I feel weak, but I trust in his power to make them effective. I still meet to counsel or plan things with, with people. I feel like crawling into bed, but I trust in his power to build up others. I still try to fully engage with family and friends. I feel like wallowing in uh, by myself, but I trust in his power to serve the people that are closest to me. Relying more on Jesus. This is the best thing that I can do. The most sound secure and effective thing that I can do is to trust in God's grace, and Christ's power to fill the huge gap in my own life and character. Right now, I am boasting gladly about this weakness in my life. What about for you? How would you fill in the blanks? Jesus says to you, my grace is sufficient for you. Insert your name. My power is made perfect in blank. Insert your own specific weakness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's put ourselves in the process of learning to be content in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities that we face. There's so many of us struggling with sad news and tough circumstances these days. But may these be opportunities for us to experience God's grace in deeper, more personal ways. Friends who are not followers of Jesus, can I tell you that the thorn that you are feeling in your life right now is an act of your loving Father calling you to stop relying on yourself but to start trusting and depending on him. The gospel that I'm preaching to all of us today is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. God loves you, regenerates your heart, forgives your sin, makes you righteous, adopts you as his child, reconciles you to himself and gives you eternal life when you trust in him. What that means is all all you're doing is simply receiving this gift of God's grace that he offers. Receiving this gift is simply by trusting in Jesus as your King and Savior. And if this is the step that God is calling you towards today, praise God. Make sure that you share with someone who can affirm your faith, can help you with next steps, and who can celebrate with you. Lastly, this is how we care and, and minister to people around us as well. This is how we ought to function as a church, never interacting like everything is always fine with our lives, but letting that ugly weakness be seen so that we can receive reminders and reinforcement that God's grace is sufficient for us, and so that we can remind and reinforce this to others who are also struggling with their own ugly weaknesses. This is also how we are to witness to non-believers around us too, because the gospel is not I am a good person, or I have it all put together. But Jesus is the one who gives me grace and power in my messed up life. This is what the world needs. And so we first talked about Paul's supernatural encounter in verses 1 through 6. Genuinely extraordinary, but still not as significant as what we then talked about. Paul's thorn in his flesh in verses 7 through 10. God is in control and cares about us, which is why he puts thorns in our lives. And what we must learn is that we are truly strong when we grasp God's grace and Jesus' power in our lives. We can identify God's grace and Christ's power in our weaknesses. Now let's move on to the life application. Uh, These are the next steps that we can take in light of Paul's message in 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10. First, identify the thorns in your life that make you feel weak and thank God for caring about you enough to put them in your life. You know, I don't um, intend to take lightly the great pains that many of us feel. But what I can say for sure is that God is in control of your life and God does care about you. When we identify these thorns, we can lament, as I've taught before, And also we can process how we experience God's grace and Christ's power in the midst of those weaknesses, not without them, not without those weaknesses. Second, live your life in your weaknesses by faith in God's grace and power. Show up, be prayerful, and do your best by faith. What I don't mean by do your best is to do things in your own strength or try to be perfect. It's operating faithfully and obediently in your life, despite the weaknesses that you feel. This is when faith is needed the most, isn't it? When you don't feel it or you don't see it in yourself, you can still do stuff like engage in family relationships. You can still finish your work, your projects at work or school. You can still serve in your ministry, But with faith to see God's grace and Christ's power in your weaknesses and you follow through, especially when you feel weak. I want to give us some time uh, to be still and to listen to the Holy Spirit as his words sink into your hearts. So let's go ahead and pray a bit on our own at this time and then we'll come back together in, in a couple minutes. Let's pray.